to the Boy Howdy Podcast. I'm Annie. I'm Bill. We are talking to you on Star Wars Week, as y'all may have heard about this movie, Star Wars, is coming out. I mean, they've been keeping it pretty low-key. It's kind of, it's, it's a secret to everyone, but I hear it's it's got space and laser swords and mm-hmm, George mm-hmm. Lucas just being so angry about it. We found no one the one person on Earth who has not seen a Star Wars before. And uh, uh, a dear friend of the podcast, Hannah Groff, and have a little spoiler conversation. Uh, yeah, that's going to be at the end of the, today's show. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll stick that on the back end of the podcast. So, so. no, sto- yeah, no Star Wars spoilers for now. But you yeah, know, yeah, we we'll, may we'll talk a little about Star Wars, but like we're not going to talk about any story stuff. Yeah, Bill. Other than Star Wars, what did you do this week, pal? Man, so what do you think? So how did you see Star Wars this week? Well, I, we don't have to go into the whole thing, but like we should just get the big news out of the way. Uh, that we saw Star Wars. That we saw uh, Star Wars. I saw it Saturday morning. Okay. With a bunch of kids. Yeah, it was like half nerds, half kids. I wish I would have paid more for it to be just all kids, to be honest with you. Yeah. Because uh, as walking in, I heard I had the entire movie spoiled for me. Literally, I managed to stay spoilers free until the five minutes before the movie started. Yeah. So thanks, My nerds. Big fucking man children. Fucking hate nerds. At least the big greasy dude just oh fucking that whole kind of like it's 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 nerd dudes totally living up to that goddamn stereotype. Um, that sucks. Really I'm sorry impressed. to hear that. But anyway, um, Bill, tell me about how you saw Star Wars. I saw it on opening night with Mike Russell. We waited for two hours in the rain to get <laughs> seats on the very last row of the theater. Um, still had a good time. I'm kind of lukewarm on the movie, but I still had a great time seeing the movie. Uh, the highlight of the evening for me was actually uh, I took a quick pee break uh, in the in the bathroom right before the movie started, and when I went in there because um, no costumes and masks and stuff were allowed, uh, two like twelve year old boys had snuck in their own homemade Jedi robes made out of bed sheets into the bathroom and were getting dressed in their Jedi robes so they could go back into the theater and start watching the Aww. movie, which I thought was fucking hilarious. Um, that was that really made the night. And they, uh, the best part was they were just two kids by themselves. They didn't have, like, a parent, like, watching over them, like, you know, because, like, so many kids who show up to Star Wars stuff, they have, like, some kind of super hardcore Star Wars parents helicoptering over them. And... Uh, yeah, it, it's it's nice to see kids of their own accord getting really excited to go see Star Wars rather than just like yeah, kind of browbeaten into it. Yeah, I'll because uh, I did feel like half the kids in my showing were browbeaten into it. Yeah. Parents uh, will claim but, that they don't browbeat their kids, and maybe some of those kids do genuinely do love Star Wars of their own volition. But there's a lot of fucking. It's like it's like the people who like you know talk about how how much their kids love Jesus when they force them to go to church, and it's like you know that's gonna wash out in a couple of years. Though I will say this, my love of Star Wars comes from my mom. Yeah. Um, we've talked about this on the podcast, and I'm pretty sure we had an episode where we talked with my mom about mm-hmm. Star Wars. Yeah, well, yeah. That was but, episode uh, two. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, yeah. It was an early episode, though. It was a very early episode, and uh, uh, we actually saw it uh, Saturday. One of the reasons why I wanted to see it on Saturday morning was that Saturday was my mom's 60th birthday, Aww. and I wanted to go see it. Uh, because Star Wars to me, so much of Star Wars for me is is lo- tied into the love I have for my mom. So uh, I had, uh, you know, if I when I turned off the analytical adult part of my brain and just reacted to it with the with the by, with the little girl whose mom loves Star Wars, I had a great great time. Yeah. Well, so. that's that though, man. That's that's awesome. Um, but yeah, who cares? We'll talk about Star Wars later. Bill, what did you do other than Star Wars this week? Uh, have you heard of Undertale that much yet? We have talked about it on the podcast, and I played it before you did. Oh, that's right. Yeah. What did you, so you haven't picked it up since then? 
No. It's a. It, it, I played it right before Fallout came out, and I oh, worked Undertale, at a job. Oh, Alice, yeah. Well, on, on, beyond that, I, uh, I uh, sit at a computer all day doing my job, and coming home to sit at a computer and play a video game is the worst thing. Yeah. So I will probably never play it unless it comes to consoles, which it probably won't. Also, I suck at bullet hell games, so that oh, game kind of bounced yeah, off of me. It's almost entirely, it's got to come to consoles. It's 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 pretty much custom made for consoles, I and mean, it's essentially just a giant riff off of um, old sixteen bit RPGs anyway. And like the fact that the combat is like little arcade games, like those first like those little shoot 'em ups that you're talking about. Yeah, and it's also a game made by one person. It don't gotta be coming anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, I but anyway, it's, it's crazy popular. It's it's uh, I I I <laughs> I got well, about. I got about two thirds of the way through the game, and I got stuck mm-hmm. on a boss, and I couldn't get past it because those those little shooter parts can be so difficult. Um, so now I'm just watching the rest of the game on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, the first yeah. time this has ever happened to me, where I've had to give it up and just uh, keep on watching uh, uh, some uh, YouTube videos rather than just uh, completing the game normally. But the game is so linear uh, that, and like, there's not a lot of choices. You, you, there are some choices you can make in the game. There's some stuff you can miss, but. Um, the thing that did me in in the game that there's a pacifist thing you can do in the game where, uh, you know, you can go through the game and kill people uh, like uh, any other RPG, but there's a way you can talk people out of every conversation. And I decided to do that. The only problem is my character is extraordinarily weak. Yeah. And so that makes it so I, I I can only take a couple hits during those little like combat sh- like little like little mini games. Yeah, the and game follows RPG yeah, logic, ahead. even though it allows you to be a pacifist. You don't in video games you only get experience, generally speaking, by yeah. killing enemies. So by not killing anyone, you're weak as hell. It's yeah. really hard to be a pacifist. And I got about yeah about two thirds of the game with like super weak character, but even then you still have characters attacking you, and the way you avoid damage is by playing these games where if you take it's essentially like playing like you know like the games change from boss to boss and encounter uh to uh to encounter but yeah there's this one thing where you have to dodge all these and i shouldn't even talk about because andy does not like these well, creatures but well i'll just say it's like the 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 bullet hell mini games it's not like you're playing the same few bullet hell mini games they change it's like, yeah yeah it's always it's something a little different you never really know what's coming so it's kind of like like almost like a wario wear exactly. aspect to it that's that yeah like, that, that's a perfect analogy actually so it's like here comes this mini game i hope you don't die because you're weak as shit <laughs> I, it does kind of kill me because this is this may be my favorite game i've played this year the writing really? in this game this is i i from my perspective i would i would easily say this is easily one of the best written video games i've ever played in my life huh. um the fucking uh i it's 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 one of the funniest games i've ever played but also the writing Hello? is really good there's some legitimately hey, great characters in there uh the story is bone simple uh long a time ago there was a war between monsters and humans and you play in the modern day you play as a human who falls into a hole in the ground uh, t- yeah, it turns out, like, after this war between monsters and humans, uh, monsters were beaten and then cast away to... They have to just... They, they have to live underground beneath the world of humans. And so this human kid accidentally falls into the underground where all the monsters live, and he's trying to fight... Well, actually, not he. The char- Your character that you're playing as is... There's no gender. You don't even know what race the character is. There is a little sprite, but, like, it's totally, like, this androgynous, like, kind of, like, racially, like, you know, you don't know what, like, the, the character is, so... 
Um, but the character is trying to fight his or her way out of the underground. And you're just meeting all these crazy characters because there's not much of a story, but you're meeting, it's kind of, it turns into an Alice in Wonderland kind of story where you're just trying to escape and you're just meeting all these one crazy character after another, uh, which is usually a story I really don't like because yeah. there's not usually a story in that situation because it is just um, Alice in Wonderland type stories like Coraline and even like Labyrinth and stuff like that really is just about the character, just like running from character to, to character and there's no like like plot stuff. There's no shape to the story. Uh, but, you know, video games are episodic enough. That's kind of something that already happens in video games anyway. And, man, the fucking characters in this game are fucking hilarious. And this game riffs, riffs off of... There's a lot of fun meta humor about video games and anime and nerd culture and stuff. In a great way, it's not like some Ernie Klein... Um, Ready Player One stuff where it's just like, hey, here's just a reference to this thing you like. But there's, like, a lot of funny just, like, crazy shit... Uh, it's just, it's not just, like, vi- video game and pop culture references and anime references, but, like, the, the, the shit that, like, one of the, one of the random enemies I got attacked by was, what's that anime trope where the ladies Tsundere, or something like T-S-U-N-D-R-E? You're asking the wrong person, my friend. But it was a Tsundere airplane, and so the airplane was acting like an anime girl, except it was an airplane. It was like a Boeing 747 jet, and it wasn't even like a boss. It was just a random character that came out. Of- I only saw one of these in the whole game so far. But, like, you know, I had to talk to the- the- talk my way out of that fight with the character, so I had to interact with it like it was like, a- like I was a character in an anime. And it's just, this game's fucking, it's out of his fucking mind. It's, it's, it's one it's of those things times. that I think is so beloved by people that I almost can't interact with it. Yeah, the game just came out, like, you. last month, and it's already, it's getting a little overblown because the game, the charms of this game are subtle, and even though it's kind of goofy, you know, quirky, like, pop culture riffing off of stuff, it's, if, 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 if it's not a game that, that benefits from being oversold to you. If someone comes up to you, even though I just came out and said I think it's one of the best written games ever, it's not like it's Shakespeare. <laughs> it's not like like it. it I, I think it's one of the best written games. Like in the way, it's kind of like the Arrested Development. Uh, what Arrested Development is to sitcoms, Undertale is to video games, where it's just kind of like taking weird tropes and kind of mixing things up and having random shit happen in kind of all kinds of fun ways. Um, but I don't know. It's I'm having a good time with that game, even I'm though now I'm just were. ending it while watching it on YouTube while, while falling asleep. At yeah. Night. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you were. Uh, I'm glad you had a good time with it. I, I'm glad I gave it my ten dollars because I think it should exist. And I like how angry it makes some Internet people. But, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's worth it just for that alone. Shit. Well, while you were enjoying your time with uh, Undertale, I was loathing my time with uh, Assassin's Creed DLC. No, no. Did you beat it? I haven't beaten it yet. I uh, uh, and the reasons why I disliked it are not necessarily just the obvious reasons. Um, Assassin's Creed Syndicate, which is a game, as y'all listeners know, I had a, a fun time with. I thought it was a really competent, you know, Assassin's Creed game. But um, the DLC uh, is about Jack the Ripper, and I was apprehensive about this because Jack the Ripper is not something that uh, most people deal with a lot of nuance, and video games traditionally aren't kind to women or sex workers, so I was really apprehensive about this. Um, And I was also apprehensive from watching the trailers because they... Um, the, they glamorize so much the movement of Jack the Ripper and everything. And I was oh, like, yeah. oh, Jesus Christ, you're going to play Jack the Ripper. I realized that, like, at some point I was like, oh, fuck, I'm, I'm going to throw my controller off the room. And sure enough, 
in the Assassin's Creed DLC. Um, you do. I, I've only done it once, but you do in fact play as Jack the Ripper. Mm. And I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil it lightly because this sums up why. I one can't of the imagine reasons anyone why. cares, but yeah, I know. But uh, this is sums up one of the reasons why this is making me so mad. The writing in this is pretty bad, even for an Assassin's Creed game. Um, we, uh, of course. The who Jack Ripper is is a much contested uh, subject over the last hundred years and something a lot of... Well, uh, now everyone's just assuming it's Jacob. <laughs> well, so the game opens. I, I, will, I respect this aspect of it. The game opens. It takes place 20 years after the events of the first of uh, Syndicate. Uh, we enter London, which is very different from the end of the game. At the end of the game, you have pretty much taken over London. Uh, Jacob, through his gang, the Rooks, which uh, he used to systematically overturn all the other gangs and uh, keep ha- make them allies to the assassins. And Evie, through um, kind of her sneaky investigation of the um, these relics of great import. And uh, the game is kind of split between Jacob being the violent, cavalier, thoughtless one, and Evie being the analytical, nonviolent, stealthy yeah. um, person. And uh, in this game, this game actually opens with Jacob dying. Um, oh, Jacob okay. is How's killed by Jack the Ripper, and Evie is um, uh, comes from, is coming from India for the first time in uh, many, many years. She's come back to London because Jacob has summoned her. She's not sure if Jacob is alive or dead. Um, and she's investigating uh, with the help of uh, a gentleman that you meet in the uh, in the game uh, who is in um, uh, Scotland Yard. That's actually your headquarters is Scotland Yard in this game. Oh, You're okay. helping them investigate Jack the Ripper. And like one of the first things you do is one of the things I talked about that I really enjoyed in the game was this whole investigation mechanic um, that there are these mysteries you can solve. And the the aesthetic of it is great because like literally you find these clues like that part of it is kind of clumsy. But what I like most is after where like there's literally text on the screen that's like in the environment that is your analysis of those clues. Oh, okay, so that's cool. You'll see like foot, you like not only will you find footprints, you'll see like the word here's a footprint, there's a footprint, and like it's like an interesting visualization of an analytical mind that I really like. So they they use that to some degree, but you're investigating the crime scene because you go and you find you go to Jacob's house and you're looking at the signs of the struggle that's there. And one of the last things you find is a photo pinned to the wall of the one time Jacob visited Evie in India. And uh, it's a picture. She's like, oh, here's Jacob when he came to see me. And he had that young man, that young apprentice. What did we call him? Jack the Lad. Oh, no. And I wanted to spike my controller. If your your big decision is that, no, 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 Jack the Ripper, uh, assassin apprentice named Jack. <laughs> that seems to be what this game is doing. And what a greasy butthole of a story. It's really bad. Also, oh, I was most excited to play 40-year-old Evie because the idea of playing an Assassin's Creed game where you play an older woman was really cool to me. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't... I like her costume quite a bit, but they don't quite know how to make her look older. The f- Face-wise, it's not quite right. It's kind of... Th- this whole DLC can be best summed up as not quite right and feels like a thought that is half-thought. They should have made her immensely fat and have her just waddle all around. 
that would have been amazing, Bill. That's what I want in Assassin's Creed game. She suddenly turns into like a fucking Leica, yeah, Coraline character. But uh, yeah, it's it's like is is she essentially moving exactly like uh, uh, Young Evie does? Yeah, they've just yeah, kind of eased do, up her face a little bit. They don't do it, it's only her face too. They don't give her any. Gray That's what I was kind of wondering because uh, you you think they give her a little bit of pudge or something like that. They they don't do the old Ezio thing where she, her movements are impeded at all. Yeah, I, I just did a little bit of uh, oh. more of the game, and she jumps off a high speed train, and you see when she hits the dirt, there's like a little bit in her movement. She's like, I am not as young as I should have as I used to be, and I should not have done that. Um, the only thing they add is this whole idea of a fear mechanic mm-hmm. where both as Jack and as Evie, um, rather than just necessarily killing people and being stealthy, sometimes it's advantageous to not be stealthy, to actually kill someone openly, but do it in such a brutal way that it scares everyone within sight. And that that fear, depending on how you level up, that fear can actually infect other people. If they Hmm. run into other enemies, those other people will also be scared. And it's such a clumsy thing, and it's so strange that Eevee, right off the bat, would also have that same mechanic. Yeah. And it's so antithetical to everything that Assassin's Creed games usually are. It's just strange. It feels hmm. strange and half-baked. And apparently I'm a third of the way through the DLC. And if it's not clicking now, I don't imagine that it ever will. So are you actually so. murdering, murdering women as Jack the Ripper? I have not yet. I hope to God I won't. I but... can't imagine. We'll see. Yeah, we'll we'll. we'll... When you control Jack, the one time I have done it, and we'll see, who knows, maybe that's the only time in the whole game, um, you're actually pursuing Jacob. It's the scene that leads to Jacob's death, or at least brutalization. Perhaps he's not dead. Perhaps he's just bled all over his room and he's off somewhere else. But um, uh, you are actually pursuing Jack, Jacob, and visually, like, they do some interesting things, like, literally, Jack's point of view is... (sighs) darker and shattered and like there are they play with the ui kind of like they do in the investigation in that they're like words like jagged words written all around jacob as you pursue him and that you think you 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 as jack see perceive jacob as some sort of traitor as a betrayer and you see these words floating around him it's almost interesting it's all almost interesting and clumsy and then there's yeah, this sounds whole mechanic. and kind of like wrong-headed it's, to begin with, but yeah. Yeah, it's just weird. They're trying to be nuanced. Like, they have this whole thing where, like, you as Evie are trying to protect the prostitutes of London from all these copycat killers. So they have this one gameplay mechanic that's called Walk of Shame, where you come across a John who's hassling a prostitute, and you have to... It's basically... The the ga- main game had this whole kidnapping mechanic, mm-hmm. where you had to kidnap oh, yeah, a bad right, guy yeah. and take him to jail in this case you have to kidnap a person and take him to the the madam to have him be dealt with but you want to take him through specific crowds of people who will publicly shame him for his actions and again almost interesting not quite there (laughs) it doesn't quite work in the game games take interesting ideas and just kind of run them through they're already kind of like pre-baked kind of arc like um not archetype 
through a template and it kind of yeah. like drains that idea of any kind of like interesting kind of texture or yeah. thrust it could have had but yeah it's just like yeah. it just turns into another kind of random activity without any real kind of good context or yeah, yeah it's, it's... I'm just so sad that this is what it is because to be honest with you you know what have been it, what makes me really sad is that I would love to play older in Eevee in British occupied India in mm-hmm. an Assassin's Creed game like yeah. that sounds really cool and interesting but, but then you wouldn't be able to do all the steampunk stuff. <laughs> anyway, that's my talk about uh, Jack the Ripper. Bill, what else did you do this week? Um, I got uh, in the mail. Um, there's this thing I didn't even hear about before until just recently. It's called Legends of Localization. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this famous uh, localizer, you know, guy who translates stuff from Japanese into English. Uh, named Tomato. I forget his, what his real name is, but uh, he started off by, uh, I guess, like 10, like 10, 15 years ago, what he would do, he would take uh, Japanese ROMs who, uh, that hadn't been translated into English or had been translated poorly, and he would create his own like superior uh, translations and release them as his own uh, essentially ROM hacks with, with like a better translation. I think he may have done like his own home-baked translations of some of the Final Fantasy games that like made better translations and stuff. And I guess he, since then he's actually been hired to become an actual uh, f- uh, like professional uh, local uh, localizer. Uh, but he still writes about uh, localization and stuff on uh, during his free time online and stuff. And uh, so I guess he collected all of his thoughts about um, the translation of The Legend of Zelda, the first uh, Zelda game for the NES, and published it as a book. Uh, on a, like You can get it through Fangamer.com, or is it Fangamer.net? Whatever, fan, just Google Fangamer Legends of uh, Localization. And it's this really nice hardback book about not only the translation, but all the changes made from Zelda, from the uh, Japanese version of the, the original Legend of Zelda, to the American version, both uh, just even like the art design of the manual and the packaging to just talks about just like different cultural reasons why some things were changed and some things weren't. And he just goes, it talks about like business stuff as to why like back and then why, why some things were changed. And he's talking about how there seems to be a different team who translated the, uh, the manual versus translated the text in the game. And there's like one team was better than the other, but, and like he even talks about like sound differences between the, the two versions of the game, which is great because the way he visualizes that in the book is by actually just uh, uh, showing pictures of the different sound waves and comparing them. Mm-hmm. So he, like he's like, well, I know you can't hear the sound. This is a book, but I'm going to show you at least like you know, sh- show you a picture of what the sound waves for these sound effects look like. There's just all kinds of stuff. Like it's a really comprehensive. It, it's probably the most comprehensive thing I've ever read about. Local, the localization of something, and it's, it's it's printed in this very attractive, hardbound little book from Fangamer. Uh, the best part is I got like a special, like little collector's ed- uh, edition from um, Fangamer that also came with the Legend of Zelda localization passport, uh, which is great <laughs> because it's this. It really is made up to look like a fake little uh, faux leather bound passport. Uh, that comes with, um, tells you how to speak all the Japanese names of all the characters and everything from uh, the original Zelda game. And actually breaks down, like, uh, like, what the different little, like, you know, Japanese hiragana characters mean. And, like, just, it's, it's, like, so it's great that the main book is actually just about the Legend of Zelda game. But, like, this little passport, like, little thingy is actually just about the Japanese language and how it applies to Zelda. And how you would go about pronouncing this thing. Or, like, by the end of reading the passport, you may be able to read rudimentary 
Japanese text from the original game just by like looking through like little Japanese essentially it's a Japanese uh, uh, language lesson inside this little extra booklet that you can That's also cute. get from, from Vangamer and it comes with like a bookmark and all kinds of stuff like that but it's a really cool handsomely designed little super nerdy super niche package but it's super <laughs> yeah it, it's it's too late to probably to get this for anyone for Christmas but like if you know anyone who loves Japanese shit and Zelda and video games and stuff like that this is a great just a little thing to get people. It's 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 really cool. It's one of the most interesting gaming publication things I've seen in a while. Legends That's of awesome. Localization, uh, and well, it sounds like this you, is going to be the first in a series too. So, if you have a friend who is a fan of Dragon Age, can I recommend with mixed feelings that you get them the first issue of Dragon Age Mage Killer that oh, came out this no. week from Dark Horse Comics? Why? What happened? Um, this is really interesting. So Dark Horse has published a number of comics based on Bioware properties, Mass Effect and Dragon Age in particular. And they all have shared one trait, which is that they've all been written by writers from the series. Um, they're actually people who have written for the games. This is the first one that is written by just a uh, an actual comics writer, Greg Rucka. Um, oh, I didn't realize Greg Rucka was writing that. Okay. Yeah, Greg Rucka is a big Dragon Age fan and has been wanting to do this and got to talk to Bioware and pitch the series that is in parallel to uh, the events of Dragon Age Inquisition. It actually takes place, it looks like, gearing up to be into Vinter, this uh, land that we barely get to see in uh, Dragon Age Inquisition that is uh, very much in the heart of this uh, kind of growing conflict in the world of Dragon Age. Um, the this I highly recommend Googling Dragon Age Mage Killer, regardless of your feelings on Dragon Age, just to see oh, yeah. these fucking phenomenal colors. Um, uh, and pardon me if I'm going to garble this, but um, Suchin Tang did these covers, and they're some of the most beautiful pieces of illustration I have ever seen. And as a Dragon Age nerd, they just get me so excited. They're so good. Um, the interior art, unfortunately, does not even come close. Oh, colors man. That's, are... Those covers are nicely done enough. That that's, that's a real heartbreaker. That's always a sad thing sometimes with comics is you, you're lured in by this fantastic cover that looks nothing like the interiors. Um, historically, one of the biggest flaws of these Bioware comics have been the interior illustrations. Mm -hmm. They're just very traditional sort of superhero boilerplate looking yeah. comics. It sounds like they could afford um, to be a little more stylized, but then again, who knows how much they're paying people for this work, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine the timeline is that great either, but it's yeah. really disappointing because um, the all of these Dragon Age comics, I, I, I am theoretically the demographic for them. I love Dragon Age. I love Mass Effect. Um, I want to explore the world some more. I love comics. All of these have hit me really cold. I'm trying to be more open-minded with Mage Killer. Um, the art is competent, but opening it, you would never know that it's not like some sort of Conan book or something like that. Oh, really? Oh, it's that's a easy, damn shame. It's easy for people to make the world of Dragon Age look generic, and yeah. boy, do they manage to make it look generic. You would never know this was Dragon Age if not for... Um, you see a mage who looks like a mashup between um, Flemeth, recurring character Flemeth, and uh, Meredith from Dragon Age 2, and you see some demons, of course, that look fam sort of familiar, and uh, you see an elf. But otherwise, it's doesn't doesn't feel Dragon Age. -y. I do like the writing, though. It's interesting in that um, uh, we we meet a character who is a mage hunter. Who that's their profession. They hunt down and kill mages who are who can be dangerous in the world of Dragon Age. But he's such a 
a cool guy, it's really hard to introduce a character that is just supposed to be a cool, brooding character and not have not just read and kind of roll your eyes and make a jerk-off motion, but it's all from the point of view from this cool guy's sidekick, uh, this girl named Tessa. And Tessa, I do like Tessa's voice and kind of the tropey narration enough that I'm intrigued by it. Um, I, 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 I'll, I'm curious to see where it's going, um, especially like literally with the events of the final pages. I'm like, oh, what next? But uh, boy, howdy, those covers are really what's stealing the show there. Huh. Yeah, no, yeah. that first cover, that's the one with the female mage crumpled over with, like, bleeding out from her belly, right? Yep. Man, it's, yeah, those... They're... Yeah. All the covers are Again, that artist is Sasha Tang, and man, is, that's a lady, right? I, I have no idea. Okay. I don't know. Because that's very I've important this in this conversation. I haven't um, seen this person's work before, but... Uh, or, excuse me, I have seen some of their illustrations before, and they're just very evocative and... Oof, it's good. Yeah, yeah if you go to really com, that person, yeah, I've, oh, yeah, that. That, <laughs> I, I, that, that's one of those artists where I, I wish I could just find them and kind of beat their brains in and just suck out, like, their, <laughs> their life energy just to steal yeah. their, oh, so good. God damn and it's it. Just, it's just, man, it's like, I almost wish that they had gotten a really crappy cover artist because then the interiors yeah. wouldn't be so disappointing. <laughs> But yeah, this, they're this very pr- workmanlike, and it's hard to do something workmanlike after something that is so moving as those covers. Oh, I forgot this person also did a great Cora piece where her titties be hanging out. How you doing? <laughs> oh, fuck you, Bill. All right, friends, with that, that's uh, us for this week. We're going to take a quick break and do the Geek Week interview, and then we'll have a little spoiler talk with Hannah Groff. At the very end, yeah. Okay, we'll be back. Welcome to the Geek Week Interview. This is the part of our podcast where Bill has noted news in the week that was, and I am reading it often for the first time. And as always, Bill's forgotten to really kind of flesh out these show notes, so it's a little like, <laughs> eh, 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 vague First statement. off, did you know that Undertale is tearing game facts apart? Yeah. Um, so what do you know about this, Annie? Uh, there was a contest for the best game of all time, and it was came down to Undertale and a Zelda game, and people were freaking out because Undertale won. Undertale whooped uh, Zelda, so uh, it's so uh, I guess for the twentieth anniversary of Game Facts being around, which kind of freaks me out because I can't believe Game Facts is twenty years old now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they held another one of their best games ever uh, polls, which they've done regularly. I don't, I, 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 I could have sworn they had been doing it every year for like the last like 10, 15 years. Uh, but usually, uh, the winner of these polls, is, at least in my experience, has always been either Ocarina of Time or Final Fantasy VII. And Undertale was a total dark horse, beat uh, not only just Ocarina, Ocarina of Time, but like 20 other games that were also in the same bracket, because, you know, that's the way they kind of do this whole, essentially, Bake Off is like, you know, like, they, they, you know, there's a whole bracket where games have to leapfrog over each other in order to get to the uh, final. Yeah, and, and uh, the people were super fucking pissed, because they thought, like, the people voting for Undertale were somehow cheating, and, and enough that, like, uh, the day that uh, polling was closing, uh, Game Facts had to actually come out and say, no, these, all the votes for Undertale are legitimate. Like, it's not like one person just set up 
like some kind of bot to just keep on clicking uh, Undertale forever. Like these are all coming from different IPs. This seems to be a legitimate thing. Undertale, Undertale, all their votes are legitimate. And yeah, Zelda fans just went fucking nuts, which is funny because this just means like instead of Ocarina of Time being voted the best game ever twenty times, now it's only been voted like nineteen times. It's, and God it's forbid one of those a delicious moments. Yeah, uh, and it's also a moment that I felt like uh, with our next note that we'll get to in a moment. This is one of those delicious moments where I was witnessing people who are used to being catered to being so furious that they weren't being catered. <laughs> that's that's another huge part of this. Is yeah, the fucking. Uh, it was delicious. It was. I was like, I have never felt. I just kind of wanted to roll in and say, "Welcome to how the rest of us, all all of us non-white males that are not between the ages of eighteen and and thirty-five, welcome to how the rest of us feel every day of our lives." Yeah, GameFAQs (laughs) is is kind of an insular community anyway. At at least the people who get upset about these polls are, you know, of course, super insular, and then you know they're so used to this happening over. It's just like fucking. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know if you could say I would successfully argue that Undertale is the greatest game of all time but that's just how oh, fucking awesome it just cracks me up uh speaking uh, of things that made people angry bill notes star trek can't catch a break yeah did you <sighs> Tim i did balls. see the trailer for star trek beyond i did what'd you think bill it's so delicious because this is a star trek movie that's not for you it's not for mike russell it's not for our dear friend leland it's a star trek movie that's for me okay <laughs> someone bastard. who doesn't give a shit about star trek they're making a star trek movie for me <laughs> and i'm sorry which is funny because it's being directed by the force and the uh the force and the furious the fast and the furious guy which i know you don't care about those movies no i think the movie no. itself could still be great but this was a terrible yeah. trailer to put out especially did it, it was come pretty out, goofy like, did it come out like not the day that the force awakens launched i think maybe the day the 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 reviews came out but whatever it was it was, yeah, I saw it. I saw it both online and before the Force Awakens. Yeah, it 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 seems like the ultimate concession that Star Wars has lost, or that Star Trek has lost to Star Wars. That yep. on the week where Star Wars comes out, becomes maybe on its way to become the most popular film of all time. It it is uh, the new Star Wars has already trounced uh like, uh like opening day records all over the world. Um, that on the uh, on the week that the 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 new Star Wars comes out. Uh, ba- sold almost entirely based on the merits of its own aesthetic, that you've got this Star Trek trailer that is trying so hard to not be Star Trek, to lure uh-huh. other people yeah. in, desperately trying to lure other people in this Beastie Boy song that was already, they already kind of pulled this trick with the very first trailer for the very first Star Trek reboot back in 2009, because that started off with this, the exact same Beastie Boy song. Yeah. And... You they're doing they're doing exactly once. what the star what the force awakens is which is memedis memedis yeah. you know and to lure people in it's yeah it's 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 rough that it looks, looks dumb as shit silly and goofy and i will go see it and have a good time yeah even to the point that even Simon Peck had to come out and be like you know what Ah, the movie's better than the trailer. That's essentially what he had to come out and tell people this week. Where like, yeah, I know that doesn't seem like Star Trek, but don't worry, the actual movie's going to be Star Trek. It's 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 know, almost so. like they don't have to sell Star Trek to people who are interested in Star Trek. They have to sell it to people who don't who want to. This ain't your mama's Star Trek. Fire, oh, you know, yeah. dunk, you know, like poochie move, like that sort of stuff. It really is the poochification <laughs> of Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> 
Which has been the whole point of I these. Do, I do love the idea of what the story seems to posit, though. The idea of the Enterprise crew just ends up being stranded on an alien planet after the Enterprise yeah. gets destroyed, and they have to work you know, to work together with an alien culture there to survive, which, you know, that's a very kind of Star Trek episode idea for a Star Trek story. Uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll see what, yeah, who knows what the final movie is, but they, yeah, that, that is... It was one of, it was just again it was one of those moments where I'm like this isn't for you and I'm sorry yeah. I'm sorry you guys I know that's upsetting oh no see the b- big thing is you're gonna be so into the trailer but the movie's gonna come out you're not gonna like it and the fans aren't gonna like it so it's gonna be a wash for everybody <laughs> that's the thing like yeah this trailer I, was yeah, meant I, for you but you're not gonna like that movie I can guarantee you right now we we can have we can uh, flash back to this episode when that movie comes back at, uh, back in May and we'll see how much you actually like that finished film and you might like kind of like it but then, yeah I don't know to we'll be see. fair that's how i feel about all the star trek movies exactly like, i'm exactly. not really yeah so like know. at the end you kind of wonder why they alienated people in the first place if they're just gonna be yeah i don't know so trying to serve all them masters yeah but uh, that's hey. the thing yeah but you know, anyway. uh did you know that ghostbusters posters and first promo photo were released this week did you see that stuff yeah, it's some good shit. Fucking posters, which I saw some people being like, oh, I see. They're trying to get all gritty and grim dark with, with Ghostbusters. And I'm like, you motherfuckers, if those were pictures of the original four Ghostbusters on those posters, everyone would be applauding. And just because mm-hmm. it's ladies that you don't like, you're like, it's stupid. It's trying to make them look badass when they're not badass. They're just ladies. I'm like, fuck you. Like, you those are great. cool fucking posters. Yeah. So especially, yeah, Patty and the fucking the, the hot lady with the, the the scientist lady with the fucking the hair um i only call her scientist lady because according to the character descriptions they officially put out this week like she's a nuclear physicist whereas the uh, patty the black lady she's i think she's supposed to be some kind of like uh seance lady or something like that she's more like a metaphysical kind of i don't know it's 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 funny that all the characters i don't know it's they it all looks, have their own it looks fun again movie it may looks, be terrible but it looks fun it looks fun yeah it's, it looks pretty goddamn cute at least Tarantino uh, Tarantino accused Disney of bumping the Hateful Eight from the Arclight Cinema, the biggest 70mm theater in LA, so it can keep showing nothing but Star Wars through the holidays. It's kind of a dick move since there's only so many 70mm theaters in the country that can, that, that, that can show Hateful Eight. Yeah. Um, but yeah I, that no. sucks for Tarantino, but I also kind of feel like as a movie owner, <laughs> if I were the person in charge of making these calls... I would oh, yeah, probably he, say keep yeah. that Star Wars going too, buddy. Well, suppose he claims that the movie theater owners they were they that they had signed up the contract for the Hateful Eight and they still wanted to show the Hateful Eight, but it was Disney saying if you don't show Star Wars, we're just not going to let you have Star Wars at all. Um, like once Hateful Eight leaves your theater in two weeks, we're just you're just not going to have anything to show because we're not going to give you Star Wars. Is it okay? We'll show Star Wars, but mm. that's a dick move. I'm kind of surprised. It is a dick move. That is. That is yeah. Uh, Oh, well. Uh, this week, the fantastic, as Bill notes, fantastic, this is actually the duration of Bill's note, open quotes, fantastic breast trailer, unquotes. <laughs> Did you see this? Did you see this, Annie? Remember this? I, I saw the trailer online, and I also saw it in theaters and I ha- before the Star Wars movie, and the best part of it was the little girl next to me leaning over to her father and saying, is Harry Potter in it? Oh, no. And her dad had to say, no, Cruising it's before that. And she just sh- sat down and just shaking her head like... <laughs> It is funny because it's about a guy with a bunch of titties and a briefcase. It's going to be a fucking horror movie. Um, But yeah. That's it. Looks it looks like it's, Doctor it, Who actually more than anything else still consistently. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see post Harry Potter. Harry Potter. It'll be curious to to see. Yeah. 
I uh, wonder who's doing the music because it sounded like they were almost like gonna intro. It almost sounded like there was a little bit of the John Williams Harry Potter music that was about to start in the trailer, but then it kind of yeah. walked away from that. But yeah, 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 yeah. It was interesting. Yeah. Uh, Super Mario Three PC demo footage was uploaded to YouTube. Um. So yeah. So this was id Software, the company that made Doom. Uh, back before I think they made Doom, uh, they tried to convince Nintendo to let them to create a PC version of Super Mario Brothers 3. And so like this is like back in 1991 I think. Uh they of their own volition decided to uh th- essentially cook up their own f- like the first couple stages of Mario 3 cook up their own port of that and show it to Nintendo and uh people had always heard about that that this has hap- that, that that this has happened but no one had seen any footage from this but this week they uploaded the footage from the YouTube and it looks pretty Looks kind of it, it's almost what you would expect. Uh, Super Mario Brothers three running on kind of like a CMYK PC monitor in nineteen ninety one. Um, it kind of looks and sounds like Super Mario Brothers, but like Mario instead of having Mario run to fly, he just kind of flies all over the place just with the push of a button. And some of the basic gameplay stuff doesn't work. Uh, but you know it, it's not completely off. But it, it's it's funny how like it's it's funny that things after this game switched so much where like PCs were so much more powerful than consoles it's funny to think in 1991 that a PC hadn't it could not have come close to making a game that looked as good as Super Mario Bros. 3 on, did on the console <laughs> but yeah this, this could have changed time. history because if Nintendo or if this company if it had gotten the license to make uh, yeah. Super Mario Bros. on the on the um on the PC, it's entirely possible that he would have never wound up developing Doom later. Yeah. And, like, the whole development of, like, first-person shooters and the whole gaming culture on PC could have been entirely different hmm. uh, if Nintendo had let them do this. But, yeah, so... But it just, it's just an interesting interesting little piece of gaming history that got uploaded for the world to see this week for the first yeah, time. Yeah, very really much so. Huh. So, yeah. What an alternate universe that is, my friend. See. <laughs> uh, Sony scooped up Kojima. With a fucking... With like, like a, a shovel. Wait, no, not a shovel. <laughs> What's that machine? That's like a shovel bulldozer. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. Shut yeah. Up, no. Yeah. So Sony ha- isn't he still calling his new company Kojima Productions? Yeah. But did you see the logo he's got for this new version of that? It actually looks really cool. It's a skull, <laughs> like in his helmet. There's like little dial. You know, it's almost I'm like a-, a Spartan sort of like yeah. like headdress sort of thing. It looks. I admit. It looks really cool. I am a noted <laughs> Kojima hater, but uh, good luck to him. I'm glad to see you finally got out of Sony and can actually come out, or got out of Konami and was officially allowed to say tell everyone that he's going to work for Sony. I'm assuming that part of the reason why Kojima was not allowed to go to the Video Game Awards a couple weeks ago was probably because he was probably going to announce this at the Video Game Awards, that he was going to be joining Sony and... He hasn't said specifically what kind of game he's making. He said he's already is working on something for Sony. It's only and it didn't even occur to me that Sony would pick him up directly too because he all of his most famous stuff has been made for Sony platforms. Uh, no, 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 no. He was working. He had done stuff for the Sega CD. What am I talking about? But you know, the Metal Gear stuff. Yeah, was all Sony stuff. So it makes sense that they would scoop him up directly and say, "Hey, if Konami's not going to keep you around, we'll, we'll, we'll throw it on for you." So, man, the part of this that gave me a consciousness rising headache though was when I was staring at his the website for the new Kojima Productions, yeah. and I was looking at all the job listings, all these job listings that they had open. And I was like, "Man, all those poor fuckers who actually were Kojima Productions, uh-huh, who uh-huh. are." 
unemployed and just Let like go. struggling right now and here he he is scooped up uh with a big fat payout i'm sure from kojima to say goodbye to him too and uh yeah yeah what else what else? Jean Ralphio and Napoleon Dynamite were credited in The Force Awakens as BB 8 consultants. I may have gotten this wrong because since then I've heard it's not Napoleon Dynamite, but it's Bill Hader. Oh. That supposedly oh. they worked together to be the voice of BB 8. Well, I, they did, I read actually an interview with um, the gentleman who played Jean Ralphio, and they didn't work together. They were, um, they were both ta- asked by, approached by J.J. Abrams to do. Um, they were like he was saying how he was actually shown a very early cut of Star Wars and was asked to basically improvise dialogue okay, that yeah. they would use and digitally manipulate to make the voice of BB-8 because they wanted him to be sound or excuse me they wanted it to sound funny and like um like and have like a sense of humor to it so they thought by taking and sampling these voices of these comedians that uh, they would get that so well that's essentially what they did when um Ben Burke created the voice for R2-D2. He just recorded his own voice making baby sounds and then just kind of dropped, like, kind of mixed that up with a bunch of, like, robot sounds to kind of create the, like, all that kind yeah. of stuff. So, yeah, yeah I guess huh. instead of using his voice, he wanted to bring in someone else. So it's funny. Fucking John Ralphie, of all places. Of all people from fucking Parks and Recreation. Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> this John Ralphie was a robot in Star Wars now. It's kind of <laughs> horrifying. Uh, uh, Arrested Development trading cards are incoming. Uh, yeah, that, I forgot the company that announced it. It's not like Tops or a big trading. I think it's just like some off the cuff, like little, like geek licensing thing. Just got, yeah, it's not going to be a huge run either. It's going to be like 64 trading cards, but I love the idea that like, arrest development trading cards. I, I would love to see them sold at grocery stores, like right next to the <laughs> counter, right, right next to the checkout, like, you know, like five, five, uh, five trading cards and a sticker and like a little vodka scented stick of gum inside yeah that's what i was gonna say yeah (laughs) would love you know like you know like joe bluth stickers and fucking i I I want i would have a lucille bluth framed trading card well that's the thing you put the like the backs of the trading cards are just like parts of a big puzzle piece and when you put them together it's just a picture of lucille uh, bluth blinking (laughs) that's it (laughs) or winking i should say yeah uh, Card Dance Humanity used the money from their last holiday promotion to give the workers in their Chinese print shop a week's vacation. Yes, that seemed pretty cool. Although it did seem to be so pretty self-aggrandizing that they sent this announcement out, actually mailed it out to customers saying, hey, look what we cool did. Well, here's a bunch of pictures of our super grateful Chinese employees that we gave a week's vacation to. Um, yeah, so I guess with some of the money, the well, I guess, yeah, the, um, I guess this year is their last holiday promotion. Um, which the only one I didn't actually throw down for, and I don't know how they think about it. But yeah, so they just essentially rented out the print shop for a week and then said, hey, we don't have any work for you. Just go off and do your own stuff. And so I guess people went out and hung out with their families and stuff. So it seemed pretty cool. Even though I guess they were required to submit photographs of them on vacation to Cards <laughs> Against Humanity so they could turn it into a, uh, into a promotional thing. So yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Uh, hey, did you know that Mabim Bam, a beloved podcast, My Brother, My Brother, Me, has been uh, selected by CISO TV, a, uh, what is it, like an NBC web streaming platform, uh, to do to develop a Mabim Bam web show? Mm-hmm. Which I don't know anything about this because I was like, is this going to be live action? Is this going to be a cartoon? Like, how do you turn Mabim Bam into a goddamn TV show? Like, what do you do? 
uh, details just- are pretty spare. They're trying to keep it pretty sparse. But yeah, how are they going to manage it if for no other reason than the brothers are all over the states? Yeah, well, that's you know, the other scattered. thing, too. And, like, they're working, so they don't have... I mean, I guess it could fly somewhere, like, once or twice a year to film stuff together, but... Uh, what they should yeah, Justin, do is get that automated software where you just talk to a microphone and it creates like a cartoon that like speaks for you. Oh my god, like that dog of wisdom video. Exactly, that's <laughs> what I'm talking about. <laughs> they don't even have to be avatars of themselves, but it could be like the dog of wisdom talking to a talking yeah. pinata, talking to a, like a chair. And just who knows, but yeah. I love that our idea for a uh, Bam Bam TV show is just the podcast, but with... What else do you do? You can't really mess with that formula. And it's like, uh, it's super off the cuff. It can't be something too scripted because that's kind of against the whole point of Mabim Bam. It's going to be exact. It's probably going to, assumably going to be Mabim Bam, but with video. Yeah. Like, I don't see it being anything else. We'll see. I don't know if that works. Uh, We'll see. Uh, Banner Saga is coming to PS4 on January 12th. That's just cool. Hey, I've been waiting to play Banner Saga on a big screen, so that's my... What beautiful game. It's funny, now with my Steam box, I could do that now, but um, I will (laughs) wait for the PS4 version now. Man, have they talked at all about Banner Saga 2 yet? (sighs) Not yet. Uh, Man, that was announced, what, like, at the last year's VGAs, I guess? I mean, I can see how that game takes a lot of bacon... To, yeah. to, they're gonna to have to say something it. because uh, a ton of people are gonna be asking what the, as this uh, the first game gets re-released. Disney used the premiere of the new Star Wars movie as an excuse slash cover to install metal detectors on all of its American parks on Thursday. Also, no costumes for anyone over the age of fourteen allowed, even for future Halloween events. Which, yeah, I mentioned before that it was worth the the latter half happening to me just so I could see kids tra- tra- sneaking in Jedi costumes in the bathroom. Which actually, I'm like. It, you know, it sucks that we live in a world where people aren't allowed to, like, dress up in costumes for a Star Wars movie. But it's still, it actually was made for a pretty chill opening night. You didn't have a bunch of dipshit fanboys running around with light, light up uh, lightsabers at the premiere. Yeah. yeah, the more interesting thing is that, like, yeah, they used the premieres of this new Star Wars movies, which were being shown at the parks, too, uh, to install, yeah, metal detectors at all the American parks. Um, yeah, it's interesting. And I, I didn't check up onto that to see how well that's... They they were just installed on Thursday, and I'm kind of curious to see how that went over with the with regular customers at those parks. Yeah, you know, friend of the podcast Brian Smith sent us a letter about his experiences. Uh, he went to a work event at uh, Dis- the Disney Park this last week, and he was like basically one of the last times that you could go in without having to go through all this metal detector bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Um, like yeah. He- and, uh, yeah, he was talking about that. I'm sorry I don't really have time to dig into it more. We're kind of in a compressed timeline here. But, uh, yeah, he was saying that beforehand you would literally just scan an admittance card or magic band and it takes your fingerprint mm-hmm. and you just walk through. There's no barricade otherwise. So it's going to be a very different experience. Yeah. Uh, well, forward. I mean, that's a way also to shatter the whole, like, you're at Disneyland. You're, like, you know, like, you, you, it's a whole different environment. You're in, like, a worry-free, carefree place. P.S. Yeah. Don't check your gun so you don't get killed. Yeah. Yeah, Studio Ghibli is co-producing a new animated film with most of the film being made in Europe. So it's probably not technically a quote-unquote real Ghibli yeah, film, but this, whatever. Yeah, the news got passed around that Studio Ghibli is making a new movie. And yeah, it's, it's it sounds like they are lending some animation to this, but it is being written and directed by an entirely different European team. It just sounds like they're throwing oh, some money. Oh, it's even being directed by a different team. Exactly, yeah. So it's it's yeah. it sounds like they're helping out with the production in terms of production costs and doing some animation for the film. But... 
I don't think this is ever going to be regarded like as part of like the Studio Ghibli canon in terms of like the, the library of films that they've they've actually produced. It's not like Miyazaki or Takahata or anybody's really involved in this or mm-hmm. anything like that. But it is nice to see that if they've got money to uh, be pouring into uh, productions of other movies, I hopefully this makes you know they'll get some return on their investment and keep the studio going for longer until they can you know start producing their own films again. So mm-hmm. at least it's a sign of life from the studio, which is better than yeah. nothing. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah. Most importantly, uh, Steven Universe returns on January 4th. Fucking hey, That's only, what, like a week away? A week and a half yeah, away? Yeah, that's not that yeah. far, my friend. And I Fuck. also guess it's coming back with a whole week's worth of episodes, too. 2016 is that close. Yeah, Shit. that's what I'm saying. It's a week and a half away. We're only a couple days till Christmas. Uh, I'm going to enjoy Arf. that by... Oh, man. Yeah, literally in about two minutes, people are going to start showing up for the big boy howdy Star Wars spoiler cast that we're going to have with the regular Star Wars, uh, essentially, party crew that we've been recording Star Wars spoiler cast for over the course of the last two years. Um, so we'll be recording that right now. Uh, maybe we'll be eating some Swiss Colony that just arrived yesterday while we record. Nice, nice. I'm very excited for your seasonality, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a Forest Friends log if you want one. <laughs> well, friends, uh, we're going to take a little break, and then we're going to have uh, a little bit of uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens spoiler talk with friend of the podcast, special pal, Hannah Groff, who has herself never experienced a Star Wars. So yeah. we'll get a fresh face perspective. And as Bill mentioned, uh, stay tuned for a fully-fledged, fully-throated Star Wars spoiler cast with your usual crew. Yeah, that'll be showing up on an, as a different episode on the feed in the next couple days. Hey, pals. All right. It's a very special segment of the Boy Hattie podcast. This week we have with us uh, darling sweetheart of the ages, Hannah Groff, uh, talking to us from the distant isle of Australia uh, to uh, talk to us about Star Wars. She has never seen a Star Wars. Is that correct, my friend? That is true. I, I think I saw part of episode three on TV one time, but apart from that, I was going in blind. What part did you see? Um, I think it was like Natalie Portman having a cry. Okay, well, that, <laughs> that sounds like been... episode three, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that could have been any moment That's of it. That's pretty much the only thing she does except for give birth and die. <laughs> Good, you, oh, you, got to see, you got to see the proud tradition of Star Wars where women aren't allowed to do much except react to what men do to them, so yeah. you got that much of it. <laughs> Spoilers, yeah, after episode seven, all other Star Wars may be a bit of a letdown in that regard. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> a tragic, tragic letdown. So yes, we 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 we've uh, lured Hannah into our podcast lair to talk about uh, the most recent episode to talk about the Force Awakens. And came out if it isn't already obvious, we're going to be talking about all the spoilers from the movie. We're going to be talking about the whole movie. So if you haven't seen it yet, you know, obviously if you don't care, you're probably not listening to this. But you haven't even if you haven't seen it yet, but you want to. Turn this off. Come back. Live. You know. Listen to this next week or something like that. But yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about all the basic you know stuff that happens in the movie. Mm-hmm. 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 So what do you think, Hannah? I I enjoyed it. I had a good time. Really? Um, okay, good. I'm glad. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm even as the Star Wars stuff aside. I'm glad that you spent money on a movie that you didn't come out going, "What the fuck was that shit?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, in in terms of like, I've, I've got a little list of things I, I talked to over with my friends because they, they've all seen Star Wars and they were kind of surprised at some of my reactions to things. Um, but 
in terms of his other movie, I kind of came out of the first Star Trek feeling like that was more of a condensed little nugget of a story. And mm-hmm. this definitely felt more like here's a series of events. Yeah. Well, yeah. well they do so much foreshadowing and kind of like layering mm. in plot for future movies, aside from the fact that it's also the seventh movie in the series. But yeah, yeah. it kind of makes sense that it feels like a more of a serialized bit of entertainment than a one-off like standalone story. Yeah, mm. yeah I have to admit, admit, Hannah, I've been really curious to hear your reaction just because, <laughs> for me, this movie felt so much like fan fiction, like Star Wars fan fiction. It was, and, yeah. Like, in that it was all about, uh, you know how in uh, uh, Thunderdome, where they're doing the telling, and it's all like, remember this? Remember this? This movie was one great big member dis. I felt oh, there was, there was a lot of yeah, a lot of winks to the camera, like yeah, see what we've done. Yeah, <laughs> okay, and, I was, and I, even I could pick those out and I was not knowing what they were referencing. Okay, I was wondering because, like, I felt like half this movie was referencing other Star Wars, and I'm like, does, does has Hannah picked up enough of this through just like osmosis? Yeah, it's Like, yeah, um, I found some of it. I could tell that it was reference. I had no idea what it was referencing, but uh-huh. it was the shop and everything was set up to be like, eh? You, you know what we're talking about? This is a reference. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would imagine know. also people freaking out in the theater was probably also a clue too when like someone shows up or a spaceship shows up and everyone's like, oh my god! <laughs> well, I, I, um, I always thought the Millennium Falcon was like the size of the Starship Enterprise. Oh yeah. So I had no idea what was going. I knew I know what the Millennium Falcon is in theory, but the, when everyone kind of cheered it and laughed at the ship, it's like what the what's that, what's that thing? It's like a it's a hamburger shaped building. What is this? Yeah, and appropriately, it's appropriate that your reaction was what a hunk of garbage because that's <laughs> right. But what a what a um, uh, can't remember the word. Lightsaber uh, force. No. <laughs> it's very hot and very early where I am. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that's like yeah, yeah. You, it's like seven thirty in the morning where you're at, so it's uh, extra appreciated that you're even trying to remember that you're conscious enough to even try to be remembering some arcane Star Wars knowledge. <laughs> um, yeah. Star Wars. Yeah, I bet I had a good rump. I'm gonna say. Yeah. Yeah. What were you, what was your what were your feelings and uh, your take on the characters? I, I liked I liked um, John Boyega's character. Yeah. Uh, the whole thing surprised me about how kind of goofy and like cheesy the comedy was. Not that yeah. I didn't. It it got me to laugh. Um, yeah. And I thought. Not all Star Wars movies are quite like that, especially the Star Wars prequels that, you know, this is coming right after. Like, there was none of that kind of personality or kind of humor. It was all very like, hey, how you doing? I love soup. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's interesting because the original trilogy did have that. It was, you know, there were elements of goofy space fun. Uh, mixed into all the grim dark stuff, and uh, it's not any of it like high humor or like super nuanced necessarily. It's just like reactionary character stuff. That, was a what? Yeah. yeah that, that this it was kind of interesting to see this movie pick up on because at the end of the day, a good Star Wars should just be fun. You know, it, it was goofy space fun. I think that is yeah. the best way to describe it. 
Yeah, well, John Boyega is pretty especially. He plays a pretty particular kind of level of glutinous. <laughs> he is very I really like hey, that. How you doing? I Duh. like how he's just in a sweaty panic during this entire movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, I, I like that he, uh, John Boyega, uh, spoilers a little bit for the original trilogy, Hannah, but um, they uh, they kind of plucked the fact, uh, kind of, uh, this movie was very much so a remix of uh, the first trilogy and some, hit some notes of the, the characters as well. And I like how they kind of split the character of Luke between John Boyega and um, Daisy Ridley. And uh, how uh, the fact that Luke Skywalker is an idiot teen who's trying really hard to be cool and be capable, but mostly is an idiot teen. I like that they gave that all to John Boyega. Yeah. <laughs> he did a really good job with it, just being sweaty, nervous, trying to be a cool guy, failing desperately. <laughs> and such a contrast to his character in Attack the Block. Like, I, yeah. That's the thing so that's surprising. I mean, just even the fact that he's running around with a with an American accent aside, the fact that he's he's such a brooding, just like totem of just seriousness in in Attack of the Block, and this one he's just so like, yeah, he's he's, yeah, he's a cartoon character kind of, but in a good way, not in a bad way. But yeah, he's very much like, well, what's going on over here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he gets to be kind of like uh, what I like about Star Wars is how people are just kind of archetypes, and you just react to the shape of them more than any sort of deep sort of character notes or anything like that. It's like everyone is so broad that you're just like, oh, that's that person. This is this person. Yeah. I hate to compare this too much to the original trilogy, especially since Hannah's. Yeah, Hannah doesn't have a lot of reference for that. But on the other hand, but that's all this is. is <laughs> I know, I know, that's the thing. So Hannah, tell us, recount to us what was the story <laughs> of the Force Awakens. Oh, a tough question. Um, well, that was the other thing is I kind of still not terribly clear what the Force is. Okay. Yeah, Force seemed to be a pretty big part of that movie. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know what? Actually, I don't think they've ever really clarified it more than they ever did. And it's not—you're not really missing. It's not like in like three movies ago they had a really big thing where they explained like exactly how the force works. It's always just kind of you can yeah. you can pick yeah. stuff up with it, and sometimes you can trick people with it. But yeah, like some... the rules of what the force are, kind of, or the what the force gives you, kind of seems to change in any given moment. It's just like a ge like an, an, a generic magical force that is whatever the storyteller also needs it to be. Also, from person to person, because some people can throw lightning with it, but other people yeah. can't. Other people, some people can read minds, other people can't. Yeah, it's it's for for a, a superpower essentially that is so inconsistent. You think more people would have a problem with it, but no, it's it's yeah. Like so the you closest, can tell, uh, I'm sorry, go on. The closest they ever get to clarifying it is in the prequels. They make up some garbage that your ability with the Force is related to the amount of a material called midichlorians in you. <laughs> That's like ex the extent of explanation they get. <laughs> and they try to scientifically ground it a little bit, which that that one. But even then, the way they yeah. ground it is only just who has it and who doesn't. They don't yeah. bother to define it at all. Take a blood test to find out how much force you can use, essentially. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so yeah, what's what? Tell, tell us. Pretend that we're telling the story of the Force Awakens around a campfire. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Oh shit! Uh, I'm trying to remember what happened. <laughs> 
Well, I think that's fair. I feel like the best, like, <laughs> Star Wars at the end of the day is not so much about what happens as much that's as how it is happens, about... Yeah. Exactly. Like, it's like... Yeah. In terms of the, the story, it, I didn't feel... Not that I didn't enjoy it, but I didn't feel like there was much of a story. Like, there wasn't a kind of a goal. It was more just a, a series of events. Uh, but just kind of Oscar Isaac trying to reunite with his droid friend. Trying mm-hmm. to, that was my focus for the movie. <laughs> <laughs> you and the 11-year-old girl next to me in the theater. Um, I sat down with this 11-year-old girl, and I kept thinking, if I was 11 and watching this movie, how would I react? And the answer is, she only wanted to see the robots. That was really yes. all she was interested in, was, was BB-8. Yeah. We had a similar experience. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I will say this, though. So I managed to stay pretty spoiler-free of this movie. Um, I managed to go into it knowing nothing, not having heard anything, except literally when I'm walking into the theater, the dude, there's a dude in the lobby talking to a woman, and he says, yeah, you know, you just need to get ready, because Han Solo dies at the end of this, so... <gasps> You should just like be cool. Really, about it. that kind of oh. asshole. That like that stereotypical cartoon asshole. And I sat down, and three dudes behind me were analyzing the plot structure of the entire film. What? Uh, literally, as I'm waiting to see the theater, I made it until the last five minutes, and then the whole thing oh was spoiled for me. <laughs> this was like a 9 a.m. showing with a bunch of kids and stuff too, right? Yeah, yeah. I went to a early oh, fucking screening Christ. on a Saturday morning, and all, uh, which, by the way, was attended by all of creation. Foley and I got there 20 minutes early, and we had to sit so close to the screen. I told the joke I made was that we came to see Star Pours. Yeah, because that no, that, that, that is not the movie you showed. 20 minutes beforehand like yeah the, yeah I, I could have t- I could have told you that thanks do you guys have a side yeah. seating in the states I'm sorry what no. was that Hannah do you guys not have like when you buy your movie ticket it has the seat no you know what oh, more no. than gun control get <laughs> assigned seating at movie theaters that would have been so nice yeah um I bought tickets. Man, so even with me and Mike, my friend Mike Russell, we went to go see it on opening. It was really the opening night. Um, and we you know, we bought uh, six advance tickets ahead of time. And we showed up to the theater t- about two, two and a half hours early. And we still wound up actually the opposite situation from Annie where we sat in the very last row. Uh, but at least we were in the center. And so you know, it was still a good, well, you know, good seats. We were far away from the screen, but at least you know, we weren't like pressed against the wall or anything like that. But yeah, no, we had no reserved seating in the United States. There's a couple theaters that are kind of experimenting with it, but it's not like an established thing. Which you wow. think would be Fahrenheit like, and now this. Yeah. <laughs> We're apes, is what you need to remember. <laughs> We're uncivilized apes. There's a reason why people get sh- <laughs> their gun shootouts in movie theaters in the United States. Oh, um, no. Yeah. But yeah, no, uh, it was, uh, I, I, the thing that struck me kind of the most about it was uh, just how much fun the whole audience had throughout the whole movie. Mm. Like, because I had a pretty mixed audience. We had some older people, I'd say it was like half nerds who had already seen it already, and the other half were more like, you know, normal people, where it was like, you know, there's some like older retirement age people, and there were a bunch of families with kids and you know and it was like just across the board everybody was having a good time though I cannot stress enough the degree to which all the kids in the audience lost their shit at that robot like just (laughs) uncontrollable uncontrollable (laughs) I also lost my shit a little bit at Oscar Isaac because he's He's a beautiful man handsome man he's gorgeous um, Indiana Jones say we're star casting that 
Oh my <laughs> god, I had not even thought about that. You know, yeah, he is, his character is very much so the Han Solo analog in this, you know, he's the the wiseacre, uh, you know, who knows his way around things and is pretty cavalier. But he's like, what's interesting is that he's like a cool Han Solo, because Han Solo is ultimately kind of a, uh, the thing that made him most charming is that he's kind of a weirdo and... Yeah, and uh, he's not always as suave as he thinks he is. Yeah, I remember you know? in interviews before the movie came out, someone was asking because you know they were talking about oh, Oscar Isaac's playing a hotshot, uh, super space pilot. Like what does what makes him different from Han Solo? And he, and uh, I think it was it was Larry Kasdan, one of the co-writers of the movie, came out and said uh, the difference between uh, the the thing that set Oscar Isaac apart is that uh, Poe Dameron he actually believes in a cause. He, he you know he's a good yeah. pilot like Han Solo was, and he's you know. Uh, Sarcastic and stuff, but he actually has something to believe in already. He's not like like wandering around like Han Solo was. That's a good point. It's more like that he has more he idealistic. has something to be really cool for exactly. and on behalf yeah. of, yeah. which makes it must make it easier to be that sort of person, you know. As opposed to where Han Solo, it's kind of all bravado because he has no idea what he's doing and he's making it up as he goes Man, along. But it's such a bummer that Ray didn't do anything in the whole movie. She just kind of sits around, kind of like she paints her nails in one scene in the Millennium Falcon, <laughs> which I thought was fucked up. I did enjoy that literally every moment in this movie where I was like, holy fuck, are they going to damsel Ray? Seriously, are they doing this? Is Ray going to have to be saved? Every one of those moments, she saves herself. Yeah. <laughs> or John Boyega. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love it when he's trying to like he thinks he's gonna rescue her, and he, she's trying to he's trying to grab her hand, and and she's like, "Stop trying to take my hand! What are you doing?" Well, I like even before that, where like he sees her being attacked, yeah. and so he's like, "I have to help this person who's being attacked," and he goes to try and stop them. Instead, watches her just handily destroy them, and then she just looks at him, and then she's about to come thrash him. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, Hannah, that's a little bit of a difference from ladies in other Star Wars movies. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's like you need the, the one other lady in Star Wars. Yeah, the one. I have to say, I was a little disappointed because I'd heard how progressive this Star Wars was, and uh, I and they're like, yeah, there are ladies around there, but I got it. One of the most disappointing points of the whole movie for me is when you see the resistance, and um, you see like the leaders of the resistance, and there's there's Leia, and she's there, but she's really not. She's just kind of like observing and the rest of the room is men and usually like nerd stunt cast men for the most part or yeah. like nerd stunt cast aliens that will know everybody will get excited about and like there are women in the background but there's mm. no one in the leadership and then the one woman you really see talk in the scene is there's a cutaway bit where um, Chewbacca is getting um, fixed up and the medic who's helping him is Dame Harriet Walter of the the Royal Shakespeare Company who y'all may only know because she was um, uh, in uh, she, she was in she was in fucking what's that? Uh, Downton Abbey. She uh, did it. Oh, she played Downton Abbey. I don't. All I know is that most people know her because she was on Downton Abbey. I know she, her from other things. Oh, because I thought uh, she looked familiar. She was an attractive lady. But yeah, it is funny that yeah, the one lady in that scene that's not Leia is, is yeah. Not bad name for you, Chewbacca. I was really sad about that. I mean, it's great that they have a lady protagonist in the movie, but like in all of these scenes where it's like, oh man, look at all these broads. It's still less than like twenty five percent of this shot is. Women. Well, if you notice when they first watch. 
walk in the, when they have the big sign that says "We are the resistance," and and, and there's a subtitle under that says "Against gender <laughs> equality." <laughs> no girls allowed. Yeah, girls, no <laughs> girls moderately allowed um, as mechanics of vehicles and people only. Yeah. Yeah. No more than ten. <laughs> They have a very strict quota, you know. <laughs> well, when the planet, when when they watch like all those planets get blown up by the new Death Star, you do see like lay in the background is like we had all our women there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, you know th- th- the best parts of this movie made me feel like a little kid and made me feel like like seeing hearing the music and seeing the blue text you know on the screen yeah. and then seeing that scroll made me all feel like little kids again and i have to Aww. say as as silly as it was and how much of just an illusion again to the past as it was that scene where you see this hyper death star shoot out a beam and destroy not one but multiple planets actually made me gasp and feel like a five year old sitting in a theater like oh. it really did it kind of, I was like <gasps> you know <laughs> what do you think Hannah oh, I, I got chills when Ray lit up the lightsaber and I know I don't really have any context to that lightsaber or how special it is but even I was like <gasps> That that was my favorite moment in the whole movie. That that just that one shot right there, because that is that is truly the first time I've seen something in, uh, new in a Star Wars movie I haven't seen before. Yeah, the, the snow fight. It was. Oh, yeah, that yeah. was. I, and she is pissed too. It's not like yeah. it's not like John Boyega picks it up and he's a little bit like he he doesn't quite know what he's doing and he's hoping he's gonna make it out okay. She she ignites that lightsaber. She's mean, meaning to fucking take Kylo Ren a fucking apart. And, yeah, yeah I was curious how that scene was going to end because it's not that Jedi can't kill or won't kill, but it would be interesting to see her first moment as kind of like a Jedi in that way. I was like, are they going to end with her killing a dude? That's kind of intense. Fortunately, they deus ex machina out of that, but you know, fucking uh, Superman earthquake suddenly shows up. <laughs> Uh, oh man, so like another moment in the movie that affected me way more than I thought it would was actually the scene where Kylo Ren is trying to probe her mind. And um, that whole sequence should have been cheesy and fallen apart, and maybe to other people it did, but the way it was edited and acted and the dumb sound of their brain sabers clashing... <laughs> <laughs> I was, I, you know, it was mostly that the two of them were owning that dumb scene. I was, lo- I was like, "Fuck, girl, you're gonna fuck him up. This is good." I thought Adam Driver was outstanding. Like he, he did just such was a good so, job. He's such a weird. Because my context for him is from girls. He's such a weird kind of gross, sweaty dude. And I, I get that he was that in the Star Wars. Like he he's, seemed like a bit of a gross, sweaty, bad dude. He's yeah. kind of a tall piece of beef jerky. Well, that's what I that's what I really liked about his casting is that you see like all of the all of the not the fucking um I was about to say all of the uh, all the empire people, all the first order people are all like these Aryan 
like beautiful like these weird Aryan wonderkind and mm. I like that you see like when John when when uh, Kylo Ren takes off his mask he's this weird looking dude yeah. and uh, he and he has this amazing vulnerability that he brings to all those moments like you, you the thing about the dark side is it's all about giving over to your basest desires and losing it's a lot about a loss of control because you're giving into anger and jealousy and all these things that override you and the way he kind of communicated those emotions, like all under the surface, I was enormously impressed. He did such a good job. Yeah. And his physicality, because he's so yeah. tall and lean, and it just, oh, mwah. yeah. It was. He was a really, I mean, a really good villain. Because again, Star Wars is best at these like just bare gestures of character that you kind of have to go along with, and it all lives or dies by the performance. And the performances in this sold all of these little characters so much that I was like, holy shit! And then the scene with with Han Solo that you could actually see that conflict in his face to mm -hmm. the point where you're like, you would believe that in that moment he would go either way you know mm. and it's all just in that vulnerability of his expression you know I, I have to say I got a little suspicious something was up with Han Solo when he was in it yeah and yeah oh, well he's a bit you know he's kicking up there he's not going to be able to keep this up for three three more movies being in it this much oh no <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, you know, it, it, I liked that, it you know, Han Solo died for his, like, trying to redeem his son. Like, that was a nice, that was a nice moment for him. Because he's a character that hasn't really, in it, it, you know, he's run away from so much and he's pulled back from so much. And it's always kind of about him being bullied into taking a stand. It meant a lot that he chose in that moment to try to reach out to his son, not just for him, not just for himself, and not just for his son, but because Leia believed in him and believed well, in them. And there is a nice moment where, well, when when Kylo Ren first captures uh, Rey, there's that moment where Han sees that and he doesn't do anything about it. Yeah. And even uh, yeah. Finn is like, "What the hell? We got to go help her." And he's like, "We got to, we like, the, the, we we, we got to get out of here before this place whole gets taken over. We can't rescue her now." Yeah. And mm -hmm. it's pretty much the same thing happens again, where he sees Kylo on the bridge. He does have a moment where he could walk away yeah. again, but then you can tell he's he's got the, essentially got the voice of Leia on his head saying, "You know, if if you see our yeah. son, you try to bring him back." And that's when yeah. he, he knows he's going out to his death. Yeah. When he steps yeah. On that bridge. But you know, yeah. hoping against hope, he could do so. And he actually it does seem like for a month, he he only dies because he actually gets so close to actually bringing him back. Yeah, you know? and, yeah. And, and that's why it seems like Kylo Ren actually does run him through is because he gets so close that he like this is what he has to like this is a final push away from his father. Yeah. Uh, that's how that's how hard he has to push back. Yeah, um, yeah. It was such good melodrama. Like, it is, it yeah, no, it is like it should have like a fucking uh, soap opera, uh, fucking organ music under it. Da -da -da -da. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what that's what Star Wars is at its best. It's just like good cathartic oh, no, no, melodrama no. that makes yeah. you shout at the screen. You know, it's like that's we're, good. Were stormtroopers always so kind of goofy? Um, <laughs> kind of shitty looking. <laughs> <laughs> these these are actually these this is probably the most threatening stormtroopers have been <laughs> since like the first movie. This is actually the high point of Star Trooperdom. What I really what I thought was interesting about the stormtrooper design 
is that um and it was part it's partially John Boyega's build and we get to see a lot of him in the Charm Trooper build mm-hmm. that kind of emphasize this aspect. It's a, it's all shoulders and no neck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they all look like they're hunched up like all the time. And then John Boyega because of his build just kind of emphasizes that. Mm-hmm. It's just it, they look oh, they look like cartoon they, thugs. They're the more stocky little nuggets of people kind of stomping <laughs> around. I, Did they, you guys see who played the um, the stormtrooper who uh, uh, Ray brainwashes into letting her go? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that last night. That that was apparently Daniel Craig. That's really cute. Yeah, well, that was pretty cute. Yeah. Bill, couldn't you recognize his butt? Is that what it was? <laughs> that I was so angry when I found out about that afterwards. But when I go to the, I'm intentionally going to see it one more time in the theaters next weekend at a kids screening. Uh, I'll make sure to bring Uh-oh. my. <laughs> <laughs> just for that, just, just just knowing that he's in there, like a little little pressed ham inside that tin can. <laughs> I'm gonna get at that with a fork. I'm gonna start licking at the screen. Going, la, la, la. I gotta say, uh, my other my other <clears throat> sadness in this movie was that they get Gwendolyn Christie to be that big, shiny mm. fucking uh, stormtrooper who literally just shows up in one scene to be like the stormtrooper school marm. To, to chastise Finn and then is just around to be captured and to be coerced into acting against her folks. Uh-huh. If they don't bring her back for like some sort of badass garbage, I'm going to be really sad. She was, aside from the main cast, she was the first person to be confirmed to be coming back for the next one. So Good, because I want her to put her shiny boot up John Boyega's ass. <laughs> well, she's got a vested interest in kicking his ass now. Yeah! Um... Mm. What do you think about? Good voice it was. Oh amazing. yeah, very. Oh, yeah. Um, who did that character? Uh, Christi- uh Oh god, Gwendolyn, Gwendolyn Christie. Yeah, Gwendolyn Christie. Yeah. Game of Thrones, Brianna Tarth. Yeah, I saw people being like, "How did you? How did you get time away from Game of Thrones to be in this movie?" And she should. I her secret answer was, "I was only on set for a day and a half." Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Yeah. I like uh, Foley told me that apparently uh, she would tell her agent she would talk to her agent every time she talked to her agent she would just say have you got me in Star Wars yet have Aww. you got me in Star Wars yet have you got me in Star Wars yet <laughs> so I'm glad that managed that well I know they changed the character for her too because it sounds like she, that character was supposed to be another dude and, and mm-hmm. when they found that she wanted mm-hmm. to be in it like oh we can make her especially knowing that she's like 7 feet tall yeah. fuck make her like mm-hmm. captain of the, the stormtroopers essentially yeah yeah, you don't you don't cast Gwendolyn Christie unless you're gonna use that height at some point. Exactly. Otherwise, yeah. why not just get some like tall, lady. lanky fella? It's it's, yeah, it's it's easy it's easy to conflate the, her character in Game of Thrones with the actress, but the actress seems so cool too. <laughs> like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's yeah. Yeah, that was my. I I have to admit, going into this like hearing that was like, oh, it's the progressive Star War. I was a little. I mean, obviously, Ray. I really enjoyed Ray. I really enjoyed that Ray got to be the just kind of the um, talented badass who, um, just you know, competently figured out everything along the way and like had this ridiculous adventure. Like, and I liked her little conflict of like. I liked the kind of parallel of her to Luke in that where Luke didn't appreciate his family and eagerly wanted to leave, that um, Ray desperately wanted to stay home just in case her family came back. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I liked that sort of thing. So. Is, is, are we meant to understand that Ray's family is potentially Luke? Or That's what, what do you think? You're, you're, is this yeah, the new person like, I, yeah, I'm kind of curious to see. I, yeah, I assume that she's Luke Skywalker. Skywalker. Skywalker's daughter. <laughs> yeah, Foley and I were talking about that afterwards because I, I, uh, you know, 
they imply that, you know, force travels through the, mm -hmm. you know, it's a in thing you inherit from one generation to another, and, uh, yeah, and I, at first I told, because Foley was like, well, Ray's got to be related to Luke, and so I was like, but that would be so, like, silly and obvious to have all the characters be, like, that are force related to the original, <laughs> yeah. but I'm, on the other hand, I'm like, it's a Star War, why would it not be silly and obvious? What about this movie wasn't silly and obvious? <laughs> Is there any other character that would be important enough in the Star Wars universe for that to be a big reveal? Yeah. yeah. Did you I, get that any... Was... Be before they unveiled who Kylo Ren was, did you get any kind of the idea that that, that, that that was going on with that character, the relationship to Han Solo? Uh, I assumed someone was related to someone. If not, oh, okay. I, maybe Kylo Ren and Rey were brother and sister or something like that. Which a lot of people are still sus uh, suspecting, but, you know. Mm. Which yeah, doesn't I mean, make one sense, the, but... One of the first moments... Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess the first trilogy was about a Force-filled brother and sister, and this is so a remix thing. But you'd think that Han Solo and Leia would have mentioned once, oh, too bad about our mysterious daughter that we're not talking <laughs> no, about. Every... <laughs> Every um, explanation so far for Ray either being Han, Han and Leia's kid or Luke's kid really kind of relies on people's memories being wiped for it to work. <laughs> uh, which, hey, it's Star Wars and we've already established you could read minds and do stuff like that, so that's not technically outside of the realm of possibility, but yeah, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's a whole... Well, here's... Oh, sorry, go on. Here, here's another thing. They, they mention... You know, we have the concept of cloning established in the uh, prequels. No, no. And uh, we have, uh, you know, there's that brief allusion to cloning that the First Order makes. Oh, you know, yeah, like, they actually do call that out, yeah. Yeah, we should just go back to clone troopers if normal people are going to be this hard. And uh, so maybe she is some sort of clone, like some sort of experimental clone of Luke. Mm. Uh, and uh, had to be left for her own protection. Who turned out female and super elfin. Like a young Peter Knightley. Yeah. Yeah, kind of a little bit like yeah. I mean, to be fair, this is a world where um, Han Solo and Carrie, or actually, like Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher, pr produce Adam Driver. So yeah. you know, a big tall. The two shortest people make the t the tallest person in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what do you guys think about Carrie Fisher? I. I love Carrie Fisher. Mm -hmm. Wasn't sold on Leia. I want. I want to. I want yeah. Leia to be like grumpy Carrie yeah. Fisher. That's what I, I wanted. I wanted her to be mad. I wanted her to be mad as hell. Mm. Instead of some. I saw five planets mm. get exploded, just like her home world was. She, mm. Here's her asshole boyfriend showing up to dick around at her. I want a <laughs> mad Leia. Yeah. <laughs> Part of me, I was thinking before, uh, after seeing this movie, I was thinking about how, how when you really think about how Luke Skywalker has been run into the ground and how unlucky he's been, and had his hand chopped off by his father, and mm -hmm. I guess had his like new attempt at building a new Jedi Order get wiped out by his own student. Now he's been yeah. run off to the end of the galaxy, and I thought about, yeah, his life sucks, but then. Leia, who was fighting the good fight long before Luke ever, or Han ever uh -huh, was, was uh -huh. tortured by her own father, uh -huh. uh, slaved to a giant slug guy, uh -huh. and has now uh, her one and only child that we know of so far, turned out to be pretty much a, a copy of her evil father. Uh-huh. Now... Uh, because she she gave in and decided to reproduce with an idiot who left 
that that her child has gone on to destroy an entire uh, star system filled with billions of people because of one decision uh-huh. she's made. And now uh, the dipshit that left her is gone, and now all she has is C three PO. And Gary, <gasps> is Gary in C three PO or R two D two? He's got like a metal disc in his belly. Maybe it pops out, and Gary's head just comes out. And he's like, <laughs> I want it too. Oh, that was the cameo I was holding out for. Yeah, it's like a fucking Pacific Rim. He's the he's the one pilot inside oh. there, inside I that mean, I, that is C three PO. I'll say this for Leia. They talk about how, in the original trilogy, Hannah, they talk about how um, Leia is strong in the Force, too. And I like the idea of perhaps the one person in this... I mean, she's not she's not force, Force-y like Luke is or anything like that. She doesn't seem to have any sort of advanced Jedi powers and she hasn't been trained or anything like that, but she does have a connection to the Force. I kind of do like the idea that she is the one person who is purest with the good side of the Force, with the light side of the Force, which would mean a certain sense of, you know, like, maybe over the years... Because in the original trilogy, she spends a lot of it mad. Like, maybe mm-hmm. over the years, she's learned to find strength through serenity and calmness and all these other horseshit things, you know? But just from... I get that from, like... I, I, I find that abstractly interesting from a character perspective, but from a person sitting in the audience perspective, I didn't want Leia to be there just to make... have mm. weirdly overly forgiving conversations with Han Solo and be sad about her son and not really act like much of a leader one way or the other. Yeah. Wait, wouldn't it be great if just even a sliver of her 30 Rock character was kind, <laughs> yeah. of, like, just kind of that little bit batshit, just fed up, like, oh, we can, if we do this, we'll win. Like, yeah, maybe you'd think in the next one, it would have to skew a little more like that, because like I said, like everything that's happened in this movie, if she wasn't like that at the beginning of this movie, she should have been like that by the end, at least. Definitely. Mm. Yeah. Like, even like, as a joke, a bit. but like, fuck. Mm. I don't know, mm-hmm. guys. I'm starting to think that maybe I shouldn't just trust adult men to break down the patriarchy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it is Ryan Johnson. He may end up replacing Leia with uh, the the Asian blow up chick from uh, from Brothers Bloom. Bang bang. Just I, entirely. I, okay. Just. I will say this. My uh, so this. I enjoyed this movie. I had a really good time. I I liked it a lot. As much as I felt, I felt like it was one big sloppy apology for the prequels. Like mm. saying it's okay, guys. We know the prequels were bad and you didn't like them, but here's everything you like about Star Wars, and here it is in a new one. Aren't you excited? It left me more curious about the next one because mm. this felt like such a such an alley-oop. And, like, you're just waiting for Ryan Johnson to come down and just, like, n- just n- bash it into the net, you know? Hannah, mm. what did you think about the reveal of Luke Skywalker? Did that feel like anything or mean anything to you? Like, like the whole, like, did it just seem kind of like, okay, well, here's an old guy, like, I don't know, okay, whatever. Uh, well, just from culturally, like, bizarrely, I know a lot about Star Wars, but yeah. I have no idea Which what makes sense, yeah, you, you know who Luke Skywalker is, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, like, I know who Peter Mayhew is and all these, like, why do I have this information in my head? Because <laughs> you're awesome! <laughs> That's what we're <laughs> But, I, uh, I don't know, it was kind of like, you, you, like most things in this movie, you could see them sort of coming a mile off, so yeah, I yeah, think yeah. it was a huge, like, <gasps> surprise! Yeah. But, yeah. <clears throat> He looked good. Big whiff. He he looked really cool with his, you know, he he looked pretty rad. But what a Mm. whiff that last shot was. Mm. You know? Like this awkward helicopter shot. (laughs) 
that just kind of made more yeah. apparent the awkward, like, lingering... Like, you, I kind of wanted Ray to go, come on, and, like, waggle it at him or something. <laughs> She's been holding it for, like, 45 seconds. I think yeah, that, like, this... Yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, like, such a great ending to that movie would have just been R2-D2, like, beeping awake, and then cut to black. Like, yeah, ooh. or, yeah. Ooh. Like, Which like, never explain why he suddenly wakes up at the end for no reason either. Yeah, like how yeah. BB-8 halfway through is like, hey, maybe R2 has the other half of the map. And C-3PO's like, no, that's dumb. You're and then fuck. that's literally <laughs> what's how it ends. Yeah. <laughs> C-3PO say he'll only wake up when Luke Skywalker wants to be found or something. Or yeah, something like that. Something so like I that. guess maybe Luke would like, he's like, oh no, Han Solo died. <laughs> I should check up and see what happens. Someone should bring me some bagels. Yeah, I've run out of toilet paper. Can someone bring me some <laughs> One, one more often. I want to see a remake of this movie with the whole cast of 30 Rock. It should have been Alec Baldwin <laughs> at the end in a, in a Jedi robe. It should have been fucking... could have been Kenneth from 30 Rock playing Ray. No, I want Ray. Kenneth being a pro. That's what I want. <laughs> do I talk first? <laughs> I do. I will say this. I do oh, like... This movie was very one. silly. Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I do like that Ray was Ray's dream of a water world at first seemed like obviously like someone who lives on a sand planet in extreme isolation. Mm-hmm. Of course, they would dream of being surrounded by water. Like, like Australia. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, of, yeah. Course, of course, they would dream of Australia. But in fact, it was actually that she has some sort of like her. The force is so, so strong with her that she had some sort of premonition of Luke and where he was. Like that was so dumb and manipulative, but I really liked it. <laughs> what do you guys think of the the vision sequence when she picks up the lightsaber and freaks out? A lot of that was lost for me. To be yeah. Honest. yeah. Well, that a lot I've of that. That's, a lot of- that seems to be forecasting stuff in the future. So yeah, there's nothing. There's a quick moment where when she first picks it up, she's in like kind of like in a hallway that's kind of twisting off into the distance. That's a recreation of something from one of the previous films. But everything else in there, you're, you weren't supposed to recognize anything in there. Oh, uh, okay. Because I, I was like, is this a callback? Is this foreshadowing? Yeah. Well, and you do have the voices of it's again really subtle on it. Even I barely caught this, but you do hear the voices of uh, uh, Obi Wan Kenobi and uh, Yoda. Talking to Ray too in the background, and uh, but that's yeah, you yeah you didn't yeah it's it's yeah they're setting up future stuff that you, you like yeah you you'll experience for the first time with everyone else in the sequels. Yeah. So. yeah. Does Yoda is he is he dead in this universe? Yeah, um, that's the funny thing. Welcome to Star Wars. We're dead people <laughs> can still keep on trying to talk to you. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, at the end of Return of the Jedi, the the last movie before this chronologically, uh, both Yoda and uh, Yoda died, and Obi Wan Kenobi had been dead for a little bit. But it is suggested that you know they turn into Force ghosts, and even though this is like thirty years okay. later, that they can still kick around. Um, you do specifically hear Obi Wan say, "Ray, you've taken your first steps." Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is funny because they just came out last night and said what they did was they actually got. Uh, you're, you've taken your first steps is actually a line they actually just spliced in from the very first Star Wars movie. It's a line that Obi-Wan oh. has to, uh, to Luke, but they wanted to have it actually say, you know, it's Obi-Wan's spirit somehow actually uh, addressing Ray specifically, so they brought in Ewan McGregor to say the first word ah. Ray. Wow. So, Man, was cute. I have to say, I really, okay, you know what, I, th- I thought, I was like, okay, that was an okay movie, but the more we talk about it, the more I really like The Force Awakens. <laughs> because, like, I mean, it's it's all very silly and fun, but I like, man, 
I that's what I like about Star Wars, and that's one of the reasons why I dislike the culture around Star Wars because it makes it so much more than just this silly fun goof yeah. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and but like the silly fun part, like where it's just like a goofy fairy tale, is what makes me really excited because I think about. Um, uh, Kylo Ren, who thinks he's walking in Vader's footsteps and wants to be like Vader and seeks Vader as a source of inspiration and as a guidance for power, but while ignoring the fact that in the end, Vader did, spoilers, Hannah, redeem himself, (laughs) you know, in the end, Vader did, like, did act, you know, for, like, the greater good did act out of love for his his yeah. his son. And um, that I love the idea of him seeking Vader for strength while Rey possibly is being trained, like, has a connection with the ghost of Anakin, you know? Mm. Cause we That's s- something they could still bring up. It's almost interesting that Anakin wasn't even a part of that. Like, yeah. if you've got Anna- Yoda and... Yeah, that's that's a thing that they could develop in the future. I wonder if they're... Because this feels like such a deliberate and conscious distancing from the prequels, and Anakin is such a universally reviled like character, and what's-his-butt, poor Hayden Christensen, was so loathed for it, I don't think they'd ever do it. But it'd be so cool if that was like if yeah. that like if, if she has this actual connection to the good of Anakin and if it could be a redeeming of not just Anakin but also just Anakin as a, from a meta perspective as a character with the fan base if yeah. you can come back and say hey I'm your grandfather, and I kind of fuck things up. I mean, who knows? He he, Anakin could even introduce him. Assuming Kylo Ren's really going to turn into the, uh, the Zuko, uh, like yeah, it could be actually they they may wait until it may be Anakin coming to Kylo saying, "Hey, you know what? I know I was Darth Vader, but." Holy shit, son! You gotta come. Well, yeah, because you have you have Kylo Ren literally looking at Dar- the mask of Darth Vader and pleading yeah. for guidance. You know. I like straight up. I always thought Darth Vader was a robot. I didn't realize he was an actual person. <laughs> no, that's totally cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's a pretty reasonable reaction. Well, the he's also mostly robot too. He's essentially a robot with a human head and like one shoulder that's made out of like burnt roast beef. Yeah, uh, so, okay. yeah. yeah. So I wasn't. I wasn't too wrong. No, that's why. That's why. Uh, fucking uh, Natalie Portman's crying so much in that one Star Wars movie. So she got. Yeah. She, uh, got a baby fucked into her by a robot, which, how does that work? That's why she's... <laughs> yeah, at the end of the original prequels, uh, Anakin basically looks like Hamburger Helper. It's really bad. Yeah. And, then, <laughs> and then Padme dies of a broken heart. Yeah. What's Hamburger Helper? Oh, oh no. <laughs> now we know if you ever come back to Portland, what Bill is making you for dinner. <laughs> it's basically... It's ground beef... Mixed in with noodles, and it looks like oh. a, it, it looks like something a dog vomited. Actually, my favorite variety is cheeseburger macaroni. So it's hamburger with noodles mixed in that's colored bright yellow. <laughs> it looks like if you dropped the dog into a meat grinder in a paint factory. Do they probably taste the same as well? Yeah, no, but I grew up with it, so yeah, it's one of those things where I, like I can eat and go, mmm, yum, and this is poison. Oh, man. But, and but I, it's, it's still it's comfort food. Yeah, yeah. Disgusting comfort food. Yeah, it's like you Australians eat um, musk flavored candy. Um, we had growing up, we had these. They were called. I hate using this word, but they were called fags. No, and they were enough. these little musk, like fake cigarettes that we all used to 
pretend to smoke, and also long pink muskets, uh, musk sticks. I'm sure um, Maxwell Motley probably had these sort of things too, because there's a lot of inter-candy relationships between yeah. the UK sure. and here. But there's a lot of specifically disgusting Australian food. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the stuff you sent us was fantastic, though. All those. Did fucking... you eat Vegemite? The Vegemite was interesting. <laughs> I did still... not. I'll tell you that. Most of you it did... is still in my cupboard, but I did try. I did make a sandwich out of it. It's it's good if you have like a piece of toast, with some Vegemite, and melt some cheese over. Uh, they see. I love the saltiness of it, though. Yeah, the yeastiness mm. was what threw me. Yeah, yeah it's a. Uh, that's that's comfort food. Yeah. Well, I can see that. Why? Yeah, again, that's that's your hamburger helper. <laughs> I think that's what that's worth. <laughs> and with that, Hannah, I know your 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 time with us is limited, my friend. Do you have any final thoughts on the Force Awakens? Like, what was your general overall impression? I I almost wish I had a bit more of an emotional connection to these films. Only yeah. so the having like a badass lady as the main character yeah. would have really yeah like, but even as it was I I got chills and I thought it was yeah I thought it was great and I'm going to love seeing all these like little girls running around like pretending to be yeah. badass um ray but I'm thinking it cuz we've got uh, Christmas holidays coming up so I might do the machete order of Star Wars which, mm -hmm. um catch up and it's got me curious. It's got me curious. I was going to ask like do you do you dare does it make you want to consume more of a Star Wars or uh, I was curious to see if yeah yeah cuz I like the the thing that I thought was most interesting about The Force Awakens is that even as I as an adult felt a little overly pandered to at the same time all the parts of my heart that were that was like cuz I was really into Star Wars when I was a kid and a teenager uh, mm -hmm. It made that part of me feel alive again, which was mm. really exciting, Aww. and I wasn't expecting. So, I, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm curious to see how you feel about Star Wars consuming them the other way. <laughs> okay. Well, we can do like a, a Star Wars recap when I'm not so, <laughs> so hot and sweaty because it is eight o'clock and already thirty degrees here. And it's disgusting. Bless your heart. <laughs> I'm dying. <laughs> Well, Hannah, thank you for uh, sweating yourself to death in the early morning hours just to join us to talk about oh, Star Wars. Thank you. You're thank an you angel. For having me. Oh, it was my pleasure. So it's and it's also great. I, I think this may be the first time I've actually talked to you directly myself. So this is extra gratifying. Yeah, I was. I was definitely that when I was in Portland, I was on my way to come see you, and a friend of mine, also from Australia, he was lost in the middle of Portland, and yeah. he, he got a bit worried. He's like, "Can you come find me and help help me?" I'm like, "Okay." Aww. We'll come find. Also, but that Aussie, Aussie accent, man, that's always the best. Like I said, someone's been watching the Mad. I hate to boil it down to I watch Mad Max, and you sound cool. But that, well, I because my my mother's um, British and my my dad is American. I don't sound like a lot of Australians. Uh, you got a little bit of that tinge, but yeah, you're not super yeah. like yeah. Well, you, if if I want, I can get super awkward, mate. Like fucking, you don't even know. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny because we have uh, we have our friend. We have a friend named Matt who is of uh, who's who's I think his father is Australian, but he grew up in in the UK, and it's interesting because having uh, a, a, like become more familiar with like a Kiwi accent too. Now yeah, I can hear hard. I can start to hear to hear the difference in a way that most Americans I think mm. can't. Uh, there's a 
a big um, like the difference between Australian and, and Kiwi and South African is a very very controversial topic. Because <laughs> <laughs> the best way to, if you ever want to find out, just get them to say fish and chips. It's the big ah. one. We say we say fish and chips, and uh-huh. Kiwi say fish and chops. Oh. I can see that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And South Africans just sound a bit like this. Yeah. Just a lot of a lot of this sort of. I'll say yeah. this. <laughs> the difference is, is that um, Americans can understand Kiwis and Aussies and can't understand South Africans at all. Uh, <laughs> for some, fair enough. For most people, that I've Dutch noticed... That fucks everyone up, yeah. yeah uh, maybe it's the Dutch influence. Yeah, it's, it's so funny because it's like... I think it's because we have some context for the Kiwi mm-hmm. accent and the Aussie accent and yeah. we have no context for the South no. African accent. Like, sometimes I've seen my fellow Americans tilt their heads like a dog trying to listen to his language. (laughs) It's a a trick we do um, if we're traveling overseas and we want to have a discussion between, like, uh, Brenton and I or any any other Australians. You can have a a complete English conversation and make sure that no other foreigners know because you just have to talk really fast like this and everyone who's Australian knows what they're talking about, but no one else who's not Australian doesn't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> so it's this whole secret language. Um, Hannah, thank you so much for dancing for us yeah. this morning. You're a wonderful person. Oh, yeah, you're one of our favorite people that point. Yeah. Uh, you're two of my favorite people as well, and I'll have to bring the fella back to Portland uh, one day. Please so do. We'll take you up on that. Yeah. We need to have you on the podcast again whenever you like. Yeah, yeah and I, I'll... Come- I'll, I'll I watched the other Star Star Wars. I nearly said Star Trek. Yeah. Oh <laughs> Why not? The lines it's, are blurring yeah. these days. You're fine. Yeah, true. Yeah. True. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Seriously, if you ever want to be back on, we don't even have to wait for another Star Wars. If you just have something you want to yap about, you'd be more than welcome to. And now we we got to figure out how to loop you into our conversations <laughs> online. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I'd I'd love to come back. Love to come back. Okay. So okay. I guess that's uh, the way this is going to be edited. This is going to be the end of this week's uh, Boy Howdy podcast. Oh, sure. I can do an actual wrap-up. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Boy Howdy podcast. Thank you so much, Hannah Groff, for uh, joining us in this merry misadventure. Um, we're, as always, at Boy Howdy podcast on Twitter. Boyhattypodcast.com is our website. And we'll be back next week. Ooh, we actually need to figure that out because I won't be back next week. Well, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so well, well, anyway. Yeah. We'll be back eventually to talk about more pop culture garbage. We'll talk to you later, friends. Take care, guys.